Okie doke. Revelation 3. Revelation 3 is the last book of your Bible. Or at least it should be. If you don't have that, then you need to burn your Bible. Because you should not give it to another person if that's the case. Huh? <laughs> Hi, you with us? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just make sure Revelation is the last book in your Bible. If it's not and you have another book in there, you need to burn it. That's all. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. All right. And the maps don't count. There's not like a book of maps like that, does it? Sorry. <laughs> or the Holy Book of Concordance. No, there's not. Saint Concordance. It's not. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's the least I could do, you know. I want to teach you guys the Bible as much as I can, so. Oh, Lord, forgive me for my blasphemy. Okay. All right. I do think Jesus has a sense of humor, though. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he told, who is it? Was it Peter? To go out and catch the fish and there would be a gold piece in the fish's mouth? Like, what? That's crazy. I love that. Anyway. Yeah, he is. He can be. Can be. All right, well, let's do this thing. All right, so Revelation 3. So we are about eh, two weeks this week and next week. We're going to be wrapping up um, lukewarm Laodicea in this series. Um, but tonight, I, I don't know. I, I've been thinking about this message now for a few weeks, and um, and it's come up in the last couple Laodicea messages just because of this this verse. And uh, so we've already mentioned a couple things about it, so it'll, it'll sound familiar. But uh, this one is going to be a good one where I think that it can be very, very encouraging, but I also think it's another one that we really just need to be very introspective. I mean, that's really the nature of this entire series is to be very introspective to be looking at ourselves in the mirror of God's word and saying, am I guilty of this and being willing to change? Um, But we're going to be talking about characteristic number six. And this one hurts a little bit. And that is the fact that as Laodiceans, we can be so busy with our own lives and ministry that we've left Christ outside. And I threw in ministry on purpose because I think there are people that are part of churches that do things in the name of God, but God is not involved. I made the statement that there are some Christians that they do whatever they want in their life and then they ask God to bless them in the process. That's Laodicea. That's what we do. And there's also some people that are just way too busy for God. They're just way too busy for God. They've got so many other things going on, so many other competing priorities, and God is left outside. He's left with the remainder. He's left with the leftovers of your day um, and of your life because that's what happens. If, if you are in a position where like, you're too busy with school, you're too busy with after-school activities, sports, extracurricular type stuff, music, um, yourself, video games – you know, whatever the case might be, like if that takes up so much of your time that God gets like nearly nothing and you are keep going down that track, then your whole life will be like that. Your whole life's going to be like that. Like if you don't give God room now in your life, you are setting a pattern in your life where God will have no room in your life and all he's going to get is the leftovers. And when you read the Bible, one of the things I've found, I've been going through Leviticus and reading through the Bible again this year. And when you hit Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you start going through stuff with the law, God puts a great emphasis upon giving him the first fruits. The first fruits. Have you ever heard of that phrase, the first fruits? What does that mean? Giving God the first fruits. What does that mean, Sam? The first of everything we get. The first, not the last. 
And I think a lot of us, we give God what's last. We give God what's left. We don't give him what's first. And a great way to find that out is just be honest about your life and look at it and say, where does my money go? When I get money, what do I do with it? Do I spend it all for me? Or do I think about God first and I give him part of my money first? You know, I've had to try to work into the habit that whenever I get paid, the first person that I give my money to is God. And I'm not always good about it, but he always gets what I promised him. He always does. And so even if it's something where, like, let's say I have to pay an extra bill and I know that I have to use some of that money, I will pay him that money as soon as I have it. I'm not going to let God down on that because I told God that I'm going to give him that money, whether it's my tithe and my building fund pledge that I give. I'm going to do that. But I try really, really hard that it's the first thing. Like even this past pay, we could have really used the buffer of that extra money to pay some extra bills that are coming up before I get paid next. But I said, nope, I'm writing that check. I've got to write that check. I've got to give God that money. I have to. It's his. It's not mine. And it's the same when it comes to your time. It's the same when it comes to your energy. What gets the first thing on your mind? What gets the first portion of your energy? What gets the first chunk of your time within a given day, within a given year, within a given who knows what? I mean, these are things that are very, very difficult to ask ourselves because we live in a culture that is just all about us. We really do. So that's part of our problem. And it's not easy because everybody else is very, very selfish. And so it's very easy for us to be selfish likewise. And if we're going to please God, we can't be like everybody else. It's just not possible. Okay, so let's go ahead and read this, and we'll get down to verse 20. So Revelation 3, verse 14. And the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing... And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Then here's our verse for tonight. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And verse 22 is really what it's going to take for you guys to really get this. You've got to have an ear to hear this stuff. You've got to. You've got to train your ear to hear this because it's for you. It's for me. This message is for all of us because we all struggle with this stuff. Okay, so as discussed in previous weeks, Christians in the Laodicean church age are plagued with the tendency to be extremely self-centered, self-willed, and self-deceived. This selfish behavior will inevitably lead to a transformation of biblical relationship-based Christianity into a palatable, compromised, defiled, ungodly, God-dishonoring, and man-glorifying religion. Yet in the midst of the seemingly impossible, helpless state of the church, Jesus chooses to not leave us or forsake us. Faithfully knock at our door and make a way for us to escape the sinful spirit of this age. And that's why it says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. 
All right, so we have only have a few passages we're going to look at tonight. There's a ton. I mean, literally, we could spend all night talking about this, um, but we just don't have the time to do that. So the first thing is this. Out of verse 20, here's a couple of things that really stood out to me. Jesus is standing at this door, and he's knocking. I mean, just imagine someone standing out right now. Like, it's very quiet right now in this room. Imagine someone standing out there and just knocking right now. In fact, let's just not imagine it. Brandon? Go ahead. Go out the door. Stand on the other side, and I want you to knock. Okay. And let's awkwardly sit here, waiting for Brandon Gibson to knock on the door. Okay, did everybody hear that? Okay. All right, now it's getting annoying. (laughs) All right, you can open it up, Brandon. (laughs) All right, now hold your spot there for a second. Hold your spot there. Hold your spot. Okay, because I'm going to have you do it again. Okay? Everybody hear that? Very loud, very clear. Everybody good. Okay. All right. Go out and do it again. Count to 10 seconds before you start knocking. Okay? All right. So this time it's going to be different. I want everybody to just start talking and just doing whatever. Just start talking to each other. Go ahead. Do it now. Come on. Come on. Super loud. Come on. Super loud. Yeah. So I said to the guy, you're crazy, right? Yeah, unbelievable. This is nuts. It's nuts. You hear something? I hear people talking, but I don't really hear anything. Okay. All right. All right, Brandon, come in. Okay. All right, you can sit down, Brandon. And everyone, you can stop talking. <laughs> okay. What, what was the difference? Who was knocking? Jesus. Do you, know, do you guys get what I'm trying to communicate here? We need to be still. Yes. Some of us were afraid to be still. And I know some of you are this way. Like you just can't handle it being quiet. Right? Some of you are that way. Like you've always got to be listening to something. You've always got to be doing something. Some of you, you're, you're completely fine with, with silence. In fact, you probably prefer if people stop talking around you. And that's different personalities, different. But a lot of you, like, you can't stand it. There's a lot of people that can't stand it. They've always got to be doing something. They've always got to be playing video games. They've always got to be listening to music. They've always got to be reading. They've always got to be doing something. Or, or it's the people who be like, I'm just so bored. I'm bored. Oh, I'm bored. Oh, ah, mm. And they just get antsy. A Christian should never be bored, by the way. That's a study for a different day. But it's true. If you have ever said, I am bored... I'm telling you, there's more you can be doing. If you say that you're bored, there's more you can be doing. That's a side note. All right, so here's the point. Some of us, things are too chaotic and too crazy, and God's been trying to knock at your door for so long, and you just don't want to answer it. And sometimes, and we get this way, when your parents are trying to talk to you, your siblings are trying to talk to you, sometimes we just go, and we just turn it up, because that way we can drown them out. Same thing with God. And some people, some people are really, really good at drowning God out. I mean, really, really good. Like they can, and my kids do this. They stand in front of us as parents and they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And they don't hear a word we're saying, right? <laughs> Tell me you've never done that with your parents. Okay. This is the same thing. This is why I focused on he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. You have to have an ear for this. 
And I don't know why some of you are so afraid to obey your convictions. I don't know why. But I'm telling you, if you're willing to just take that step and obey your convictions, it is the best thing in the world. It is the most freeing, peaceful, exhilarating, exciting thing that you have ever experienced in this life. I promise you. Because I've been there. And I go through seasons. We all do. We just ignore God. We ignore God. We get things so busy, so loud, so chaotic in our life that you just can't hear Jesus. And before you know it, he's on the outside and he's knocking and you can't hear him. You can't hear him until you're still and you're quiet. Laodicea does not like to be still and it does not like to be quiet. It doesn't. And I am convinced that that is straight from the devil. Because he doesn't want you to be still. He doesn't want you to be quiet. He doesn't want you to think about these things. Because maybe if you actually thought about them for once, you might actually do something dangerous for the Lord. And he doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't want that to happen. Go to Luke. Luke chapter 14. Luke 14. Point number one that we're going to talk about tonight out of Luke 14. The other passage is very, very similar to it. You can read it later. But I want to take Luke 14 because it's a passage we've gone to oftentimes when we talk about discipleship. But here's the reality. We often extend a conditional invitation to Jesus. Christians during this age, they extend a conditional invitation to Jesus. Jesus, I want you to save me from hell, but don't you go changing up my life. That defines Christianity, I mean, to a T, to a T. Jesus, come save me out of my trouble, but don't ask me to give you Jack. Or, God, save me, I promise I'll give you, I'll do, I'll do whatever you want, I will do, just get me out of this. And then, eh, fake it. That's Pharaoh, that's what Pharaoh did. That's exactly what Pharaoh did. So we can't fall into the same trap, but we tend to do this. And you got to know this about yourself, and you got to admit that this is how you are. And so in verse 15, I want you to see this, all right? So verse 15 is where we're going to where we're going to start. The context is in verse 12, I might as well back it up and just do verse 12, all right? It says, "Then said he also to him that bade him, when thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they they also bid thee again and recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just." So now he's going to be talking about this whole concept of having a dinner and inviting people to come. Verse 15. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. This certain man is God, by the way. This is a parable that he's giving. And he and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. So God invited them to come and to fellowship with him at his feast. And when the servant went out to invite people to come, now all of them all at once, now they're beginning to give excuses. Okay. The first in verse 18 said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs to go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Guess what this is? Materialism. Materialism. I've bought something. I need to take care of it. Don't bother me with an invitation. A lot of people do that. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. This is money. This is money. I have the opportunity to make some money because that's what livestock was back in the day. 
It was money to them. It was their, it was the way to make income. And so this guy says, Hey, I bought five oxen. I got to go prove them. I pray they have me excused. Verse 20. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Family. There's three things that tend to always get in the way of your relationship with God when he's inviting you to come and to fellowship with him. Materialism, things that you want, things that you have, things that you need to take care of. Money, money, family is another one. And materialism can also be pride of life, by the way, because you have certain things that makes you seem like you're someone. So you can loop that in and lump that into the same category. But family is also another one. Verse 21. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. How much of an insult is it to, the, to God, to the creator of the universe, when he takes the time and the energy to prepare things for you, to have this grand plan for your life to unfold if you would just obey him. And you're like, mm, nope, I got my own agenda. I got my own things cooking, God. I know you've gone through all this great lengths to like save me and stuff. And you've got this plan that's amazing, which is why I was made supposedly, whatever. But I, you know what? I think I've got this handled. I know how I work. I know how I am. I know what I like. And I just don't match up with your design. How insulting is that to God? extremely insulting. This is why God wants to spew Laodicea out of his mouth. It is extremely insulting for you to be disobedient to God. It is extremely, extremely insulting for you to say, you know what, God, I don't want to follow your will. And I've had to think about this and I still think, and I'm convicted right now as I'm talking to you about this because there are things in my own life that I know that I could do a better job with. It is extremely insulting for us the God of the universe would shed his blood and he would die for us. And yet we can't give him what? Like not even one one hundredth of your day? Like really? Like I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but this is just the facts of Laodicea. We've got a huge problem. And it's no wonder why the church is dying. And it's no wonder why your generation and those that have preceded you that graduate from high school hardly ever come back to church ever again. Because they don't know God. They never had a real relationship with them to begin with. I'm telling you, if you knew God, you would never shut the door. And that's why we talk about what we talked about on Sunday, because if you heard the voice of God, if you spent any amount of time with him, if you sat with him and you <coughs> fellowship with him, it is the, one of the most sweet things I've ever experienced in my entire life. And to think that I have shut the door on him kills me. After all that he's done for me, this is why things are such a wreck now and why your life is, tends to be completely upside down and inside out and not right with the Lord because we do this to him. I mean, we might as well have been in the crowd spitting on Jesus and flogging him as he's passing by going to the cross. I mean, we might as well be. This is Laodicea. It's terrible. We love Jesus when he benefits us 
when he makes our life better. But the moment that we suffer something very difficult or things get hard, we quit. We can't quit. We can't quit. We ought not to quit. He didn't quit on us. We should not quit on him. And this is why after this, verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. God forsaked all that he had in order to save you. And for him to come back and say, you need to forsake all that you have in order to be my disciple is not a big request. It's not. It's not. And he deserves it. He deserves everything that we've got. Everything. But that's our problem. We extend a conditional invitation to Jesus. That's what we tend to do. And most Christians, when things get tough, they bow out. They quit. They quit. They're weak. They're cowards. They're cowards. They quit on God. And I think that's happened to us. And shame on us when it does happen. You know, there should never be a circumstance where you should have to quit discipleship. There shouldn't be. There should never be a circumstance where you have the desire to not come to church. There should never be a circumstance where you have no desire to open up your Bible. That should never happen. That should never happen. Now it does. Now it does. It does. And it's just, it's the, it's the facts, the reality of it. And this is why I'm so glad. I pray this all the time, even in front of you guys. I am so thankful for the grace and the mercy and the patience of God. Because I deserve to be wiped out. I deserve to have everything that God, I mean, all the wrath that God could ever have needs to be poured upon me. That's really what I deserve. And yet he doesn't. And that makes me love him more. And that makes me want to give him more. And I think this is what we're missing. This is what we're missing. We're missing the heartbeat of God. And maybe it's because you've never sat down and taken the time to actually lean upon Jesus' chest like John did and actually heard his heartbeat. Because once you hear, hear his heartbeat, you will never hear anything so beautiful ever again. You won't. So this goes into point number two. Jesus always extends an unconditional invitation to us. Always. This is what he does. He extends an unconditional invitation. Go to John 3. John 3. John chapter 3. We know this passage is like the back of our hand, but our heart can tend to be far from it at times. It's generally one of the first verses that we learn as kids. And it can become so second nature that we just forget what it even means. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth Cometh to the light that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God. Verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I love this about our Lord. Jesus always extends an unconditional invitation. You know, Brandon, you played a good Jesus. Good job. 
knocking on that door. But that's like that's what it's, it's what it's like. The door can stay shut and it can remain shut, but he is knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. So we need to not grow weary in his knocking and just ignore it and tune it out. We actually need to hear it and we need to open it. Because that's really what he wants. That's what he desires. Go back to Revelation 3 and then we'll end with this. Revelation 3. I want you to look at this verse again. Behold, that word alone should let you know that you should pay attention. He's about to say something that's very, very important. I stand at the door and knock. If any man, if any man, it doesn't take anyone special, it doesn't take anyone that's more spiritual than any other. No, it says if any man. In fact, if you were to correlate that back to Luke 14, it says that the maimed, the lame, the halt, and the blind, those are the ones that actually heard. Those are the ones that responded. Now, frankly, that shouldn't be the case. People that have all their wits about them and have no handicaps whatsoever spiritually should be the ones that respond. But oftentimes, it's the people that actually have the need that respond. And so maybe you don't think you have the need, which goes right back into our plague as Laodiceans anyway. Because we think that we're rich and have need of nothing, and yet we're miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. If any man hear my voice and open the door, so you have to hear it. That's the first step. You have to hear it. You have to hear it. You don't tune it out. You hear the knock. And notice the knock is his voice. See that? I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, the knocking is his voice. Where do you hear God's voice? The Bible. Where else? At church if they're preaching the Bible, right? As you're memorizing the Bible, as you're thinking about the Bible, as it's influencing your thoughts. I mean, I hope and it is my prayer that always behind this pulpit in this room and especially behind that pulpit in the sanctuary that you always hear the knock of Jesus. You should always be able to hear it. The moment that someone steps foot in this place and you do not hear the voice of Jesus Christ, run. Get out of here. I mean it. And you should not step foot in a church if you know for sure that you do not hear the voice of Jesus, the knock. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. This is exactly what Jesus said. If any man hear my voice and open the door. So you have to receive it. It's not enough just to hear God's word, to let it convict you and to know that you need to do something. You've got to open the stinking door. You've got to open the door. You have to do something with it. I think this is where we fall short because I think in our church, I think that we hear the knock. I think we do. I think we hear the knock and we like the knock and we hear the voice, but I think we fail to open the door. I think we do. But if we're willing to do that, look what happens. I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You'll, you'll be able to have fellowship with him. See, people don't want Jesus in their life because they like how their life is. They know if they open the door and they let him in, he's going to start rearranging the furniture. They know that. They know that he's going to start changing the color on the walls. They know that he's going to change how it smells inside. They know that he's going to change how things are ordered and how things are done. They don't like that. We don't like that because we like to be in charge. But the problem is 
go ahead and be in charge. I think you guys have experienced enough life so far that you've had that experience behind you, that you've tried to be in charge with some things and it's really gone how? Super well, better than God ever could manage your life. Most times. <laughs> Liar. It doesn't. Every time I try to manage my own life, it falls apart. It, it just does. It does. And if you don't believe that, well then just go keep doing it the way you're doing it and just let me know how it goes. But I have learned so far in my life, the 35 years I've been alive, every time I try to take control, it always goes awry. Always. Always. I can't do it. It's too overwhelming. It's too much. Life is too much for me to handle. I have gone through some terrible circumstances this week where, I mean, I can't, I try to put myself in those circumstances of people that I'm trying to minister to and my mind just freezes. I can't, how can I... How can I even handle this circumstance, let alone be the one who's trying to comfort them in their circumstance? Are you kidding me? Like, what do I have to offer? The only thing good in me is God himself. That's it. The only thing good that I have to offer is what God told me. That's it. That's all, that's all I can do. That and I can give you a hug. I mean, that's really about it. And I'm a good hugger. And I mean, I can do that. I can do that. I can give you some encouraging words. I can try to be with you. But I have, there's nothing inside of me. I don't have the answers. I don't, I don't have the capability. I don't have the sustainability to bear burdens. I just don't. I can't figure stuff out. Neither do you. And the quicker you get there, the better off you're going to be. And so it leads us down to this last point. And then I want you to take some time uh, to really give an honest answer with this one. Because really the choice is yours. What kind of relationship do you really want with the Lord that you really, really want? Because whatever kind of relationship you really want, you can have. You can have. And you're going to have the relationship with the Lord that you really want. I mean, that's the sad reality. What you have with God today is, is the result of what you really want. Now, the question is, is that what you really want, though? I mean, is that what you really, really want? Because I know the relationship I have with God today, and that's not what I want. I want more. I want more. And once you've really tasted of what it means to walk with God, you can't ever get enough. You just just can't. He's the most amazing person I've ever met in my life. And if you can get enough of Jesus, there's something wrong with you. And that's the truth. So I want you to think about it. <clears throat> and I want you to really answer the question. What kind of relationship do you really want with the Lord? And so that's kind of where the box is there. What kind of relationship do you really want with God? And then the lines after it is, what do you need to do to get there? What do you need to do to get that kind of relationship? I want you to take the next couple minutes. And I really want you to think about that. And then when you're done... Before you leave, if you need to leave, go ahead and leave. It's, it's already a little bit past eight right now. But if you need to leave, go ahead and leave. But I would really like you guys to spend some time praying together. We need to do more of that here in our youth ministry and uh, in general. And so um, if you want to share what you wrote down, great. If you don't, don't worry about it. But before you leave, I'd like you to pray with somebody uh, just about what's going on in their life or what's going on um, with them personally or with you personally uh, before you leave. All right? Okay, go ahead and take that time.